Hello, and welcome to the first episode of Into the Light. My name is Dulce Rivera, and I'm a senior in college studying at Minerva. I began this podcast to gain a better understanding of mental health, and to share anonymous stories from other students just like me. Each week, I will read a different mental health story from an anonymous college student. You will also get to hear interesting interviews with experts, so that you have various resources and strategies that help you take care of your mental health. The inspiration for this podcast came from talking to other students who, like me, were struggling to take care of themselves. The life of a student can be quite stressful, managing academics, extracurricular activities, having a social life, and all while trying to stay healthy. And when on top of that you add a global pandemic, it can get quite overwhelming to even get through routine tasks in life. From various conversations with my classmates in university, I know that there are many students who have struggled or are currently struggling to take care of their mental health. I wanted to do something to help people feel less isolated in their experiences. However, sharing these struggles in a public forum can be quite daunting and take a huge emotional task on the person sharing. That's where the idea for anonymity came from. Anonymity provides a safe space for people to share. Before you continue listening, I want to say that the stories shared here are deeply personal and private to the individual. I've created this podcast to provide students with a voice where they can share their stories and feel safe and heard. This podcast spans different facets of mental health, but I want to emphasize that this series is not meant to be a substitute for counseling because, well, spoiler alert, I'm just an undergraduate student and not a licensed therapist. If you think you would benefit from talking to a therapist, please don't hesitate to reach out. As a bonus at the end of this episode, I've listed various useful resources that can provide additional help and support. So let's get to it. In today's episode, as you can see by the title, we'll be talking mostly about depression and anxiety. Trigger warning. The following story contains sensitive information regarding depression, anxiety, panic attacks, and suicide. I come from a culture where mental health problems are ignored and invisible. Although I had the vocabulary to identify and describe the anxiety, panic attacks, and depression, I believed that only other people could experience these things and that I was somehow immune to them because of my loving family and fairly privileged middle-class upbringing. I thought someone has to have experienced certain kinds of trauma to get depressed or anxious. So when I got my first panic attack during a class-wide event in my freshman year at Minerva, the thing I felt most deeply was shame. Was something wrong with me? How could I have lived such a lucky life and still feel so much stress that my body would freak out? Looking back, I'm grateful that we had a Minerva counselor present at the event who rushed to guide me through one of the worst days of my life. We locked ourselves in a tiny room at the venue, and they guided me through what I felt as I cried and shivered. Ever since that day, 
attending any event with many people has been a challenge for me. I've had other students ask me why I don't want to be a part of the community, and have struggled to answer it. Of course, the truth is that I was, and still am in many ways, fucking scared that I might get a panic attack and be the idiot who runs out of the room in the middle of something important. So for most of my Minerva life afterward, I shut myself out and disappeared as much as possible. I would grant myself one stressful class-wide event per semester that I helped organize. After that event, I would feel drained and anxious for a week or two. The shame also made me deeply depressed. And being in San Francisco, I remember taking lonely walks by the bridge, praying for the courage to end my life. Although I was close to my family, I couldn't talk to them, so I felt the loneliest I ever have during that time. I felt like a burden to them from afar. How could I call them from continents away and tell them that I didn't want to live? That I was in therapy? One day in particular, I was locked in my single room crying, sad, self-harming, and messaging a close friend how deeply hopeless I felt. There was a 1001 happening in the building, but I remember the residence life coordinator coming to my door, knocking, worried, and asking me to open the door. I remember yelling, no! I remember crying myself dry and feeling so thirsty. Then a classmate knocked on my door, someone I knew but was still becoming good friends with. I let them come in. I saw the leaf of empty paracetamol tablets on my table and asked me how many I'd taken. I don't remember what I said, but I remember them counting and calming down to realize I hadn't taken enough to be of medical concern. I did feel nauseous, though, and I hadn't eaten in a while. I remember being hugged, fed, and then put to sleep. I remember this ugly and stupid feeling that I didn't know how many tablets to take to die. This person I barely knew slept with me in my bed to make sure I got rest. I remember missing classes and going to therapy the next day. I walked to the building opposite the Minerva headquarters, and I was alarmed by how loud everything was. I don't know where this story goes, but I want to tell you that I'm sharing this because I want to say a significant part of how I survived was because of the people around me. As days went by and more people knew how bad it had become for me, I had classmates bring me fruit cut into pieces, lending me their handkerchiefs, forcing me to eat, talking to me, hugging me, holding me, and letting me feel this through. Trying to exist at Minerva with all these things I was feeling and trying to figure out was hard. I said mean things to people. I snapped, ran out of events, missed classes, took many extensions, almost left Minerva, and felt needy and lonely and so much more. Taking classes and being called in was also incredibly painful during this time. I remember the few classes where I left halfway because I had a panic attack or just felt so anxious that I began to cry. I'm now remote and at home and have been going to therapy and working on me for a while, so it's definitely gotten much better and I'm much kinder to myself when I am struggling. 
but to be very honest, I still don't know how I made it and continue to make it here. It's not always easy. Neither is it always difficult. I've become comfortable with not attending things, if that's what I need, and not feeling guilty about it. I've become comfortable with having a few good friends. I much prefer one-on-one -on -one conversation than those in groups. I'm more comfortable needing my family, needing therapy, and space to feel. But it still gets hard. My sister says this thing that always tears me up, and I want you to hear it too. Just being alive is so difficult, and you are doing it. I'm so proud of you. Wow. I just want to take a brief moment to thank the individual who shared this beautiful story with us. It was definitely not an easy thing to do, but your story is so valuable to everyone listening. Thank you so much for sharing. After hearing this story, I wanted to learn more about the rates of depression and anxiety among university students. Some of the statistics I found, quite frankly, shocked me. According to the American College Health Association, in 2018, about 63% of college students in the U.S. felt overwhelming anxiety, enough to affect their academic work. One recent report published in 2020 found that about one-third of undergraduate, graduate, and professional school students had depression and anxiety, or both. Perhaps even scarier is the fact that depressed and suicidal students tend to have a higher risk of self-medicating and abusing drugs like painkillers, stimulants, and antidepressants. Given these dreary statistics, I wanted to understand more of the underlying causes. Why are so many students facing depression and anxiety? Is this stress due to academic work or pressure to succeed academically? Are there common factors that underlie depression and anxiety? What do you do when you have a panic attack or when you see someone else have a panic attack? The more research I did, the more questions I had. So to help me answer some of those questions, I invited Dr. Doris Yarovich to speak with me. Dr. Yorovich is an author and psychiatrist who works at Harvard University. In her book, Mental Health Issues in the University Student, she highlights the different mental health challenges that college students face. My name is Doris Yarovich, and I'm a psychiatrist. I have spent most of my career working in college mental health, working with college and university students. Currently, I'm at Harvard, and I've worked with students in other settings outside the counseling center as well. I was wondering if you could talk a little bit more about your motivation to write the book. Sure. So it's twofold. So one is that I've also always been a writer. I have divided my time between my psychiatry practice and writing uh, both fiction and nonfiction. So I'm always drawn to any project that involves writing. As I started to work in college mental health, I felt that there was a need for more information out there about issues that students were dealing with that came uh, through a psychiatric perspective. 
I just wanted to take a deep dive into what we knew at the point that I wrote the book. Uh, we were seeing this trend of increasing mm-hmm. depression, anxiety, and other issues among students, and really trying to understand it better myself and also to help others, both working with students and also students and families themselves, understand what was going on. Yeah, I think that trend has continued even to this day, and it's kind of gotten even worse. So I was wondering if you could speak to some of the factors and maybe some of the reasons as to why we are seeing so many students have higher rates of depression, higher rates of anxiety. There are a few theoretical explanations for why we have seen these increases, and you're right, they have continued, and certainly the COVID pandemic and also other really difficult moments that we've had in 2020, I think, have contributed to the trend. So, you know, we've had enormous disruption uh, in all of our lives because of the pandemic and continued significant uncertainty about the future. And then also there's been a lot more attention to real issues of discrimination and racism. And we've seen protests against that and counter protests. And then also just environmental calamities. I think all those things have combined to affect all of our mental health, but more so actually the mental health of young adults. So there was a, a study that actually just came out you know, that showed that young adults, like 18 to 24, something like close to 50%, have reported in this survey that they were experiencing greater symptoms of depression. So the environment certainly can contribute to depression and anxiety, and we also know that some people have biological vulnerability. So it might be, you know, there's a family history of mental health issues, and we know that that can be inherited to some degree. It's not like, certainly by any means, that if there's a family history, that person will have problems, Mm -hmm. but it makes them a little bit more vulnerable to depression or anxiety. So it sounds Um, like there's, it's it's a bit partly genetic, but then there's that other really big part, where which is environmental. And to a certain extent, we could control. So my my next question is, you know, what could students do to take better care of themselves during this crazy time if they're feeling depressed or or anxious? I think there are many things that that students can do. At the sort of the most basic level is just uh, recognizing that self-care is an important part of our daily lives, and I think that can fall by the way when students get really busy academically, and I think we've seen a lot more pressure on students to do more and more, and I think that the explosion in kind of social media and other kinds of communication has contributed to, you know, what's been called FOMO, right, which is the sense that there's always something else that you could be doing and something else that someone else is doing, and sometimes they can feel like better than you, right? So just recognizing that that's like a real phenomenon is is one step and trying to disengage from especially like comparison games because they never lead anywhere good. Mm. And by self-care, I also mean making sure that students are paying attention to things like sleeping enough and eating regularly and Mm -hmm. exercising. Again, these are really basic things that we all know, but I think that especially when we're stressed, they're sometimes the first things to go. So recommitting to taking care of ourselves physically and mm-hmm. uh, emotionally can, can go a long way. There are a lot of studies that show that moderate exercise a few times a week is 
as helpful in depression as taking the medications. You know, just being mindful of the self-care piece. And then I think that social interactions are really crucial. And that's another thing that's been really hard during the pandemic and the way that we've all had to live. Yes. We have to be physically distanced and to some degree separate from one another. But finding ways to still have social support is really critical. So whether that be virtual connections by video or taking walks, wearing masks, you know, finding ways, safe ways to still interact with other people is really critical. And then, you know, getting help when it feels like things aren't getting better, feeling like it's okay to seek help, to seek professional help when other things that someone has tried have not. Yeah. Really helps sufficiently. It's also important to realize that just feeling kind of down or feeling anxious once in a while doesn't necessarily mean that someone is suffering from depression or an anxiety disorder. So just also recognizing that it's normal to feel down sometimes or to feel anxious or mm-hmm. um, not to feel well emotionally. Yeah, especially given everything that's been going on recently. Exactly. Exactly. So, you know, the, the time to be more concerned is if it's really getting in the way of eating, sleeping, to mm. do your schoolwork. Mm-hmm. You know, people certainly if people have any thoughts that life isn't worth living or they think about hurting themselves mm-hmm. or hurting someone else, those are signs that some more professional intervention is really necessary. Yeah. Sometimes it can be really hard for students to acknowledge when it is that they need to reach out for help versus you know, when it like maybe okay, I can I can do it. I can take care of myself, or I can complete all the work I need to do. So, where is that boundary line drawn? Like, when would you suggest that students be reaching out more for professional help, or even just from, for help from their friends, their family? That is a hard line, and I always say, if in doubt, it's better to reach out and, and try to get some help. So that um, you know, I'm I'm always happy to meet with someone and say actually this sounds perfectly normal and you don't, I don't mm. think that we need to do anything right now. That would be like a good, a good problem to have. Right. Yeah. Right. So, but I would say I, I look for really impairment, you know, so again a real change in functioning for someone so someone who's always been able to get their working on time suddenly consistently stops being able to do that or they're having trouble sleeping many nights of the week, not just like one night in a month, you know, they're suddenly not able to eat in the same way or they're, they're eating too much and, and vomiting or, you mm. know, so things that are really different from usual functioning. And usually people close to you can notice if those things are, are starting to happen. Students certainly notice when something's up with one of their friends and they might be afraid to say something because they don't want to come across as, as being intrusive or they don't really know what to say. But I think it's okay just to say, I notice you haven't been yourself and what's going on or how are you feeling? Open-ended questions to check in with somebody. And I would say, again, just whenever someone is having thoughts that life isn't worth living, if they're having any kind of suicidal thoughts or mm-hmm. or certainly engaging in self-harm or thinking about self-harming, yeah. those are times that it's really important to get help. When somebody is having a panic attack, what can you do to help? Yeah, so panic is one of those things that's so terrifying when people experience it. If they've never experienced it before, people often think they're having a heart attack or that they're dying and go to the ER and get you know, big medical workups. 
but if it's panic, it's certainly not life-threatening, and it's very amenable to treatment. So people tend to do really well with treatment. I would say for you know for a casual observer, one thing would be just to remind the person to breathe, and actually it can be so helpful to maybe do a breathing exercise together. You know, there are lots of exercises where you slow the breath down, like taking in a breath through your nose for about six to eight seconds and then holding the breath for about six seconds and then breathing out again slowly through the mouth. So that's just like one a simple one. But I think for a, a person who is nearby who may not know that it's a panic attack, just kind of being supportive, encouraging them to breathe slowly, encouraging them to actually cup their hands over your nose and mouth and breathe into your cupped hands for a few seconds and that will often kind of help around the body because it kind of feels so scary that people then develop a conditioned response to the situation that brought it on and they do develop this kind of fear that makes them avoid it in the future and the more you avoid it the more that strengthens the fear so Mm -hmm. part of the treatment is learning how to not avoid but also not panic Mm -hmm. because you know obviously if you panic every time you're in that situation it will also strengthen yeah thank you so much i think it can be really tricky both as a person going through it and as mm-hmm. as a friend or even a, an observer uh having to watch somebody go through all of that and i thought it would be helpful for listeners to yeah. to at least have a little bit of of an awareness as to what you can do in situations like that yeah i just also want to address two other things and the first is shame and i think that that also is a very common reaction that people have when they have any kind of mental health issue. It's so important for people to know that they're not alone and that there's nothing wrong with them if they experience these feelings and that for some reason we think of mental health as different than physical health, right? So you wouldn't be ashamed if you got a cold or broke your leg. You wouldn't be <laughs> like, oh my God, I'm so embarrassed. That, but somehow we see these other experiences differently. So I think that students can remind each other that Mm-hmm. That we're all in this together. It's just part of being human. And then the other thing is that it's not always people who've had like an adverse experience, or it's not always people who've had trauma. Trauma can be one of the things that makes people more vulnerable to depression and anxiety. But for some people, mm-hmm. it's just out of the blue. They've had a very happy childhood. Yeah. They feel very good about their life. And then for whatever reason, they might have an experience where they get depressed or anxious. You know, we don't know everything there is to know yet about those. We do know that things change biologically in our bodies when we're depressed or mm-hmm. anxious mm-hmm. and that there are even DNA level differences. It's not like people have something wrong with them because they experience. Absolutely. Mental health continues to be highly stigmatized, especially at high performing universities where, you know, it is kind of like the norm or the expectation to be succeeding and, you know, achieving yeah, I think I, I just wanted to, to let you know that part of why I'm doing this podcast is so that other students can see that people just like them are, are having these experiences and that it's okay to have experiences like that and that we're all in this together. And yes. it should be normal to to talk about these things. So true. <laughs> Thank you. 
After my conversation with Dr. Yarovich, I left feeling hopeful. Although depression and anxiety can be overwhelming, there are many things that we can do that are within our control to take care of ourselves. Practicing self-care daily and ensuring that we are taking care of the basics, such as eating, sleeping, and exercising, can go a long way. There are also many cool organizations working on supporting mental health awareness and suicide prevention. I would recommend Active Minds, a nonprofit organization present in more than 800 schools that empower young adults to speak openly about mental health. You can also look up their website to see if your school has a chapter of Active Mind, or you can begin your own chapter in your school. Their website also offers a lot of useful resources and information. Finally, another highly important resource is the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline. If you or any of your friends are undergoing suicidal ideation or thoughts, please don't hesitate to call at one 800 273-8255. They provide free and confidential support to people in distress and are available 24-7. If you enjoyed this episode, I invite you to share it with the people you love. Reach out to your friends and tell them about the information you learned. Oftentimes, we don't know what experiences others are going through, and sharing this story or the contents of the episode could help someone else. If you would like to learn more about depression and anxiety and how they impact college students, please go to our website, www.intothelightpodcast.com, where you can find the accompanying book. Each chapter is aligned with the episode number, so you can read more about each topic discussed in the series. If you were inspired by the story and would like to share a story of your own, you can also find the submission form in the website where you will also be able to find and read all the stories. Thank you for tuning in this week, and stay on the lookout for next week's episode. This was Into the Light with Dulce Rivera.